Okay, could I have your attention, please? I'm going to very quickly get you into your tables. I want to thank you again for joining us tonight as we're in our second session of Engage. The purpose of this class is to overcome the myths that bind us up with regard to reaching out to people and helping them find Jesus and to set people free with the truth that Jesus has revealed about that process. Um, so what I'd like you to do just to begin our time tonight after I pray is I want you to answer these two questions at your tables, please. What stood out to you from the last session, and who are the people that you're praying for in your spheres? And if you wouldn't mind, just give a little background on who they are. So if they're their neighbor, if you know something about just let your table know a little bit about them, all right? So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll go to the tables. So, Father, thank you for uh, this time that we can have tonight. We thank you that uh, we have this incredible Lord of the harvest to hold up, and we cannot hold him up highly enough. But we, we get the joy and the privilege of looking to you, Jesus, as the Lord of the harvest, to by your spirit guide our time tonight, to grant us the repentance that we need, to lay aside those, those lies or myths that bind us up and to lay hold of the truths that would set us free. So have your way tonight, Jesus, in our hearts, in our minds. We just look to you to be glorified in your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you would, at your tables, please answer these couple questions. So last week... Um, I asked those of you who wanted to to give me the list uh, of names of people that you would like for Bruce and I to pray for, and um, I held these, and I started to pray for them, and I had the deepest sense of what a holy privilege you had given me to take these names to the one who had more compassion for them than anybody in this room could ever dream and to um, honor your relationships with them, to see the passion, as you wrote some notes there, that you have for these people to know Jesus. It was a beautiful thing, so thank you. Um, I do want to ask Dale, if you wouldn't mind, for those people that had children on that, Dale, tell them about what you've got going on through New City here coming up next and what you've done just in the last couple months. Can you stand up? Thanks, Dale. So uh, the other thing I wanted to mention before we get started tonight beyond these introductory comments was Michael and I were talking about Billy Graham, and he, he reminded me of something that I was very impressed by when I first um, got around the Billy Graham ministry, and that was the emphasis on prayer that went on during, before the Crusades, during the Crusades, and after the Crusades. And so that's why, uh, I, I mean, I think that ties directly into the idea that the first thing that the Lord of the Harvest tells his disciples to do is to pray. 
Yes. Yeah. So, um, again, if you want to add any names to that list, please um, give me the names. We'd love to join with you in praying for those people. So to kick us off tonight, uh, Bruce, could you come on up? I've asked Bruce Henning to take a few minutes tonight and tell you a little bit about his story after, as I shared my story last week. So, Bruce? This on? Yep. Okay, so um, Bob asked me to share my story in 10 minutes. I can't do that in 10 minutes, but I'll do my best. I'll try to talk fast. Um, so I grew up, um, I was the middle child of three children. Um, we did go to church when we were young, a Baptist church. Um, and then about age 10, we moved and we pretty much just quit going to church. So, um, my parents kind of, it was the seventies, late sixties, seventies. And I think the seventies was doing a number on them and, but, um, we had just kind of quit. And so, and I don't remember I don't remember talking about God or Jesus or religion or anything like that, you know, around the dinner table. Um, so it just kind of became a non-subject. Um, I'll fast forward to college. Um, yeah, I didn't do Young Life or anything in high school. It had never entered my mind. I get to college and I spent I spent eight years trying to do four. Um, that's true. Um, and um, and I and I do remember. I remember there was no no God. I didn't I didn't know anybody that went to church. I didn't know anybody that did a Bible study. I didn't. I don't I don't remember seeing a church, even though I was in Chapel Hill, and um, and I'm sure there are there, but that not in my not in my world. And I I, uh, I partied hard, um, drank uh, almost every night for seven years, um, and that's one of the reasons it took eight years to do four. So. Um, but that was, you know, that was kind of the lifestyle, and that's what I thought was kind of important, or it seemed like, you know, to be the party guy. So um, uh, then we get through, I get through college, and I move to Charlotte, and I'm working at a firm uptown, and the, this is kind of the first, well, no, I'll, I'll take a step back. So there was, um, in Chapel Hill, I will say the only, the only Jesus or God I heard was down at the student union and at something called The Pit. And there'd be a street preacher who would stand and preach. And, um, and, I, and on a sunny day, I might just be bored or something and sit down and listen to him. And, you know, he didn't impact me that I recall, but that was, that was the only Jesus I heard uh, was from this guy. And I've got a story about that if I have time. But, um, but uh, so here, and now I'm in Charlotte. I'm uh, 28, 26, 27, something like that. And uh, there was a guy that I worked with named Marty, and Marty was a new believer, and Marty would talk to me about God, but I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. And I don't, he didn't really know, and he would say stuff like, Bruce, I'm praying for you. And I remember thinking, dude, you're so messed up. Like, you're way more messed up than me, so I, you should be praying for yourself, um, not me. So, I, I, I mean, I didn't even understand what he meant by that, like, I'm praying for you. Um, he knew what he meant. I know what he, I, now I know what he meant, but I didn't back then. And, um, but he was a good guy. He had a good heart and I knew that he, and he would talk about the change in his life. He had, you know, that he, he would, he'd gone from being kind of wild guy to kind of straighten it, straighten his life out. And, uh, some of y'all might know him. Um, he's, uh, Marty Davis that would go down, be downtown and go to the, go to the town hall meetings and 
talk about all the pornography in, in the library and stuff. But anyway, that was, uh, that was Marty. Um, and then uh, fast forward a couple years, and now I'm at a new firm, and there was a guy named Matt. And Matt was the religious guy. Um, good guy, but the religious guy. And we all knew he was the, the Christian. And um, over time, I got to know Matt, liked him a lot. And, um, and I'd start to ask him questions, you know, about God or whatever, and he'd answer them. But then I'd ask somebody else, like, the same question, and I'd get a different answer. And to me, back then, you know, if you ask a question and you get two different that didn't make any sense to me. It seems like, hey, this thing, this religion y'all are part of, it seems to me like I'd get the same answer. So that was a little bit confusing. Um, but I hung in there. And then um, one day, uh, Matt and I had gone together on an appointment, and we'd driven out, like, somewhere. And it was about 5, 5.15. We're coming back to the office, and Matt had driven. And we, uh, he parked, we were, you know, uptown in one of the parking decks that spiral up. And um, as we're driving into the parking deck, he, he starts spiraling up. And I said, Matt, just park here, and we'll go in, get our stuff, and then can leave, go home. And he wouldn't do it. And I'm like, dude, just, just park, and we'll, we'll, we'll be done. And he said, Bruce, I can't do that. And I'm like, why not? He goes, well, I don't pay to park on that floor. I'm like, dude, it's like 15 minutes, and he wouldn't do it, and so we're spiraling up like eight floors, and I'm giving him a hard time on every floor, like, hey, you got, like, this is crazy, but deep, 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 deep down inside, I know he's right and I'm wrong. I, gave, I still gave him a hard time, and I never admitted to him, and I never told him till way years later, but um, he had a, was starting to have a big impact, um, and I thought about that a lot, like, there's something going on there. I know he's right. I know I'm wrong. But, you know, what is that? You know, you know that kind of what's going on here? Well, another, another, you know, fast forward a little bit. And I was married, had two small children. Uh, but my marriage was, was not good. And I went to Matt. I, I can't tell you why I asked Matt. But I went to Matt said, Matt, do you know any marriage counselors? And he said, yeah, I know a guy named Palmer. Y'all, y'all probably know Palmer. And uh, I said, okay, well, how do I get a hold of this guy? So um, my wife at the time, wife and I go to see Palmer, and um, about two years worth. Marriage didn't work, but I learned a lot. Um, and Palmer didn't, Palmer wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't putting anything down our throats. I do remember one, one session, though he goes, it was kind of like um, Gomer Pyle, sinners, 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 you know, and selfish, selfish, selfish. Um, so it, wasn't, so it wasn't a religious thing, but there was a lot of, like, principles that Palmer was driving into my head. And, um, but, you know, when I look back, I was like, gosh, there's all these different people that the Lord's putting in my path. Um, of course, I didn't know it at the time, but, um, you know, starting with a street preacher. Um, uh, but then go fast forward a little bit. Now I'm, uh, this is like the 90s, 96, this maybe started around 80. 586 when I met Marty and um, I'm on a uh, in a business meeting and uh, I don't know if I said the name God and I might have said it in the wrong way too you know God but um, but the guy I was trying to get business from uh, older guy named Bill Bill um, after the meeting a couple days go by and he called me up and asked me to lunch and I said uh, sure because I wanted his business 
So we go to lunch, and we just talk. And I'm kind of waiting, you know, like, okay, when I'm going to, you know, like, close the deal. And, uh, but he got me talking about my favorite subject, which is myself. And, um, and, uh, and then somewhere near the end, he goes, Bruce, where are you with God? And, man, was I squirming. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, are you kidding me? I can't believe he's asking me this. But, but I said, uh, gosh, Bill, I, I don't know. I guess I'm searching. And um, Bill, Bill was a pro. He said, uh, you know, that's, that's funny. There's a group in town called Search, and they talk to guys like you that are searching. And, you know, he kind of had me. And I was like, darn. And, um, and, uh, but it took nine months because uh, he, uh, he I actually have a copy of the, the facts. Um, but he, um, he connected me with Davis. Some of y'all know Davis Kirkendall. So he connected, and again, took nine months. And then I met, met with Davis, and um, it was like, okay, this guy's pretty cool. I got a son named Davis. You know, it's pretty neat. And, uh, and Davis says, so can you get three, four guys together from your office, and we'll start meeting? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I go back to the office, and I find three idiots like me. And, uh, and, uh, and so sure enough, we started meeting. Our office was down near the Dowd Wide, so we went on Tuesdays and would have lunch, and then um, some of y'all are familiar with, they had a, used a book called Foundations, and um, I, I, you could probably get through that book in six months, and it took us three years, um, and I had a lot, of, I just had a lot of questions, and, um, but Davis was so patient, he, um, and, and a lot of this stuff would be like political, like I would get off on political topics that had nothing to do with what he probably wanted, but he was just very patient, would stay with me and stay with me and, and, and all of us in the group. And, um, and so, you know, three years go by. And then somewhere along there, I gave my life to Christ. And I wasn't with Davis. Uh, he wasn't there. I was in my living room by myself. Um, and I was struggling with some stuff. And I just kind of, okay, God, you know, here I am. Um, but I do want to share. Um, so that, that was kind of like, and so that's kind of like a 12-year kind of like 12 years there from, you know, Marty, really, uh, to when I finally said, yeah, and I was about 40 years old. And then, and then um, you know, part of the process, too, you know, just, okay, now I'm saved, um, but, you know, what, what from there? And Davis is like, hey, I can't keep doing this with you guys, so he introduced me to a guy named Craig, and Greg led us in a Bible study for about three years. And then, um, so, you know, and I knew nothing, but I joined a church, and I was part of a Sunday school class, and I, for some reason they asked me to teach, and I was <laughs> like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing this. I know nothing, but I did, and I taught on the Holy Spirit. And don't ask me why, because I knew nothing about the Holy Spirit, um, like nothing. And but I got up there and I was teach, trying to do my best, and I started weeping, just weeping, and I, I couldn't talk, um, but I was just so tears just pouring down my face. And I was so embarrassed, and I looked up, and like 90% of the room was crying. I was like, okay, I'm going to be okay. And, um, and, but what happened, what happened was a guy named Dean, he came up afterwards and said, I want you to go on something called the Walk to Emmaus. And I said, yeah, whatever, okay, sure. And, um, but I, the, the point is that that walk, that walk was just so significant for me. God just had that, had me, you know, that was just something God just had for me. Um, uh, and I also, also um, that walk, uh, for me, so much of my journey was cerebral. It was here. 
I wasn't here, but on that walk, I realized that it's really, it's really here. God didn't care much about my brain. I don't have much of one anyway. But, um, but it was all about what was going on here, and so that was important. So when you, know, you look back, it was Marty, and then Matt, and then Palmer, and then Bill, and then Davis, and so just, you know, and just great people. Um, and I still have just these great people in my life who have just poured themselves into me over and over and over. And so I, I think the purpose of this was Bob wanted, y'all know it's a process. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of my story. Thanks, Bob. Thank y'all. So last week, as we looked at this myth, we were trying to tear down this pressure that we all feel to make evangelism effective. Now, it's unfortunate, but the secular and the even Christian society that we live in reinforce this myth in many places. So what I want you to do is to, in your groups now, talk about what evangelism training have you been involved in, what was the focus of that training, and what did that, how did that, in, that training impact you? So just take a few minutes and discuss these, please. So if you think about uh, particularly how does this myth that we're effective outreach is, is our responsibility, how does that get reinforced? I think particularly it gets reinforced in the evangelistic courses that are often taught where the main focus is on how to share a particular form of the gospel. It's a method-based training. And if that's the basis of the training, what is complete that sentence as it was saying it in the course? If I just say it right, what's that? They're going to believe. What else? How else would you might think that? If I just say it right, Okay. There is, it, there is some value. I'm not trying to diminish the value of learning a method, but if the focus is only on a method, it tends to reinforce this idea that it's up to me to say it right, and if I just say it right, they'll come to believe. Or if I say it wrong... Yeah. Yeah. But I'm off the hook once I say it. Yes. Then I'm all, exactly. I can, I can discount that. Now, that's one of the things. The other one is, if you notice... And I, I receive a fair number of prayer letters over the, over the course of my Christian life. You probably do too from missionaries or, or from people that you know that are involved in, in ministry. And if you'll notice, if you just start watching, what gets reported often is the number of people that come to Christ and the people who actually led them to Christ. Now, if you were to think about what that implies... If I'm not leading people to Christ, what, what, how would you finish that sentence? I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I, I'm not really good at this. And so you could go back to Bruce's story and you could ask, who was the successful evangelist in Bruce's story? Was it Matt? Was it, uh, there's Matt, Davis, uh, Bill, and who's the, who's the fourth? Palmer, yeah, Palmer, okay. But if you, if you, 
I didn't hear what you said. What'd you say? I was just listening to Palmer Davis. I was just speaking. Oh, okay. Anyway. The workers, all right. But the point, it's easy to, for all of them to think up until Davis, they didn't succeed. If that's not clarified, and it's often not. That's all I'm trying to say is, the fact, if in that limited voice that's spoken, it's easy to imply things that, that reinforce this idea that we're in charge that it's up to us, okay? Now, if we believe that, if it's really a method and it's really only, it, we're only successful if we come to Christ, if we, um, if we lead someone to Christ, how would that impact our actions? This is an open question to everybody. If you believe that, how would that impact your actions? You might not be sensitive to what the Lord, how the Lord is leading. You would assume what? I'm supposed to what? Share the gospel in every interaction that I have, and you force that into into conversations when it may not really be appropriate. Yeah, Beth, what were you going to say? Okay. The focus can, can, can tend to be on us versus what, to your point back there, over there, was what is God up to at this moment in their life? Okay? Yes, Lance. Uh, piggyback on that is not to focus on the other person in building a relationship to have a conversation. So what might you not do then? Be so forceful. You, but if you, if, you, if you were focused not on the, if you were not focused on the person, what might you not do? Listen. Listen, talk, care about what's going on in their life at that moment in time. Uh huh. Right. Exactly. Okay, now. What's that? But what kind of hospital room? It's a birthing room. Now, I want you to imagine you're standing outside that room and a friend or a family member of yours is having a baby inside. And the doctor or the midwife comes running out with the baby and says, Look at what I've done! Am I not the most amazing doctor? They couldn't have done this without me. And you would say, What? Are you nuts? All you did was catch the baby. But that's what we do in evangelism. Look at what we did. What? We'd call him or her ludicrous, wouldn't we? We'd say, you're nuts. But we think if it's up to us, that's what it leads us to. Shame, I'm not doing enough. Pride, look at all I did. Mm. 
Tonight, we want to take on the second myth that puts pressure on us, particularly when we think about evangelism as an event. So the truth was that as the Lord of the harvest, Jesus Christ brings about effective outreach, not us. Now, we're going to look at this parable in Mark chapter 4, which is called the parable of the growing seed. Um, you'll notice all three of the lessons that we're going to be looking at and engage are based on Jesus' teaching. Because he's the Lord of the harvest, and we don't learn from him. Now, let me remind you before we look at this that parables are what? They're stories that Jesus told. Why did he tell them? Do you remember anywhere in the scriptures where it says, this is why I'm telling you these parables? What's that? Part of it was they were relatable. Any other reason? About what? Do you remember? The kingdom, Carrie. That's exactly the right answer. Not what about the kingdom? Even more deeper than that. Listen to this. This is in the passage above that. He says, when he was alone, the twelve and the, and the others around him asked him about the parables. This is in verse uh, 10 and 11. He told them, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. He was telling them secrets of the kingdom of God that could not be understood apart from the parables. The parables were designed to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. And so each parable, in my interpretation, has one secret that it's revealing, not 20. And we get into problems when we study the parables by thinking the details are where the, the, the understanding is to be found. For instance, you all know the parable of the growing seed. I mean, the parable of the soils. That's the parable right before this in Mark 4. How many soils are there? Four. Everybody knows four. They are hard-packed, rocky, thorns. Do you know that some people interpret that passage to say that 25% of the world will be saved and 75% will be lost? They've missed the point. That's not the secret of the parable. There's one secret. Jesus uses Details not to confuse or, or, um, or, or to lead people into, into insignificant ideas, but to, di- but to draw to the point. So, if that's true, every parable has a secret, and we're looking for that secret. Now, by the way, let me tell you what the, par- what the secret of the parable of the soils is. The secret of the parable of the soils is that no one, well, we know, this is, we know this to be true. What Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. What's the next part of that phrase? Who can understand it? The point is, no one understands the heart of a person. But then the next verse says, except for God. Now, in the parable of the the soils, if you notice, he tells the soil is a heart of a person. And what he's telling them is you can know 
the secret of a person's heart by their response to the word that's shared with them. That's the secret. All of a sudden, you and I can know what's in somebody's heart as we share the word of the kingdom. Now, by the way, men and women, I don't think that parable is that you're one soil only throughout your life. I think I've been rocky soil. I think I've been hard-packed soil. I think I've been thorny soil. There are sometimes the word got, uh, comes to me on a Sunday morning, and I'm really receptive. Or somebody shares something with me, and I'm too wrapped up in the things of, of my life at that point. Or there are times that I'm excited about it, but it gets hard, and then I bag it. So I, don't, I, I think we move in and out of the soils. But I can know my heart or the heart of another person when the seed is sown and by how they respond. That's, a, that's an incredible secret that Jesus said nobody ever understood this in the history of the world until now. Disciples, I'm giving you the secret. Now, I set that up because it's easy to diminish this little short parable that you're going to look at. Okay? And I want you to look at it now, and I want you to answer the questions, these questions. First of all, what are the key components of the parable? Okay, what are the key components? Just think about that. Then secondly, what's the mystery? So just enter tables, talk about that. What do you think is, what are the key components and what's the mystery? Go ahead, tables. What are the key components of the parable and what's the mystery being revealed? Tell me, uh, tell me what, what is the mystery being revealed in this parable? What is the mystery? What did you come up with? You don't know. Okay, that's fair. Anybody got any, anybody want to take a guess? Carrie, you guys want to take a guess? Well, we were talking about just the, the fact that, like, the man who scattered the seed has no power over its growth. Mm -hmm. Like, the seed and the soil is what is growth. Okay, but it's not, the parable doesn't emphasize his lack of power. It emphasizes his lack of something else. On what? The mystery that he's revealing is how does a person grow in their relationship with Christ? And that is something nobody knows. But what does he reveal? It grows. A person's relationship grows how? And... What kind of process? An identifiable process. First, then the full. So there's a. There, Jesus thought about these things for a long time. And these things really are important. So that detail is not just thrown in there for you to just miss. 
Not to think, oh, there's only four stages, but to understand he's trying to reveal something. You don't know, guys, how somebody grows, but I'm going to tell you, they grow by identifiable stages so that... How does the parable end? He puts the sickle to it so you know how to join the process. Because what he doesn't say is, well, he waters here, then he does this, then he does this. and he No, he waits, waits, waits. Then he knows the harvest has come, and he puts the sickle to it. The truth that this passage reveals is that we don't know how people grow but we can identify the stages of their growth so that we can participate strategically. That's what a worker does. When Jesus says, pray that the Lord of the harvest send out sowers, reapers, prayers, workers who know how to work the harvest. So Jesus says, I've got to show you what you can and can't do. What can't you do, men and women, disciples? What can't you do? Make them grow. Make them grow. I'm reemphasizing to you disciples, I'm the Lord of the harvest. I'm the only one that can make them grow. Don't you dare think you make them grow. Paul who I think was the understudy. This is the Lord of the Harvest teaching his master's maybe PhD course on how to reach people. Paul picked this up. He was like his secondary student. In 1 Corinthians 3, if you read that passage, it's incredibly, well, incredibly strategic. But I want you to listen to what he repeats twice. To a, to a church, by the way, that had a really huge view of themselves and a very small view of God. The Corinthian church was really, really a troubled church. But he says this, What after all is Apollos, is verse 5, and what is Paul? We're only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned each task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. One time. So neither the plant, no, neither the one who plants now, the one who waters is anything, but God makes things grow. Twice, you, you, you get in the repetition? Jesus said, all, he does, it grows, and he doesn't know how. But do you see how mixed up we are by that first lie? And we think we're responsible. And if somebody's not growing, what do we feel? Guilty. We've done something wrong. We've missed the whole truth Jesus is trying to teach here. You, you folks don't make it grow. I'm the Lord of the harvest. But I want you involved. How? Strategically. Don't harvest when it's just the stalk. Don't harvest when it's just the head. Don't even harvest when it's the kernel. Let it be the full grain in the head. Then you harvest with the understanding that the, that the farmer recognizes those stages and so should the worker, right? We'll talk more about that next week, about those stages. But what I want you to see so strongly is this idea of the mystery. So the mystery is, again, how the seed grows. We don't know. 
What does the parable tell us? That it grows in identifiable stages. And what is the application for the disciples? Respond to the recognizable stage. Respond strategically. It's a beautiful gift that he's given us. It's a mystery nobody understands outside of the disciples. Nobody gets. Why did Bruce respond that day? Why did Bob Schindler respond? Why did this? Why, why did you all respond? And the other people don't. Because we don't get it. And we're never were designed to. We're just workers. We're not the Lord of the harvest. He gets it. It's his job to make it grow, not ours. Okay? Now, by the way, the Lord of the harvest, though, teaches here some important things. We won't ever understand how a person grows. We won't ever understand it. We we can recognize the stages, and his role is to cause the growth. And what's our role? To participate in the stages. So what's the myth? Evangelism is a one-time event. Say that again. Whoops, why did I do that? Oh, I'm going the wrong way, sorry. This, this clicker is different than my clicker, so every time I use this, I'm, I get messed up, sorry. This is the one you want, I think, right? And these slides come out to you, by the way. You, you know that. They come out to you from Sarah. So you can. And, and men and women, please, you are free to use these as broadly as you want to use them. I don't even care if you give me credit. I really don't. I want these truths to be shared. I don't care who gets the credit. I want the Lord of the harvest to set the American church free from our pride and shame that has bound us up. Okay. We good? So the myth is evangelism is a one-time event. The truth is, as the Lord of the harvest, Jesus Christ has established a process to reach people, not an event. That's That's the truth. Now, you can, we'll talk about more about that process next week. But the most important thing is to recognize that Bruce is not an anomaly. How many years was it again? What to what, Bruce? About about 12 years. That's not an anomaly. Now, Jesus, as the Lord of the harvest, can shrink that process down to as fast as he wants or as slow as he wants. Because he's the what? He's the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest. Okay, now, 
at your tables, I want you to discuss that. If we rejected the myth and embraced the second truth, how would it impact our attitudes and actions in evangelism? At your tables, please go after that. Okay, let me open this up. This discussion you're just having right now, let's open, I want to open it up to the whole group. If you saw the Lord of the Harvest who ordained this process, therefore, what, what did you come up with? What's the result? It breeds hope. Is that what you said? Peace and hope. Therefore, we be at peace and hope. Liam, were you going to say something? Less guilt or no guilt? Both of those are, are, are desirable, right? Good. What else? Okay, you would be, you'd be sensitive. You want to know, Lord, where are they? Where are they? Hey, give me eyes to see where they are. Okay, so you're praying for guidance. And Kevin, you said what? You'd want to listen more because you'd want to understand them more because that's part of the way you're going to recognize that. You'll see that next week. What else? Yes, Lance. Even if you didn't know exactly where they were, there's a willingness to enter into conversation regardless. Okay. Everybody hear that? Why do you think I titled this series Engage? Because that's the goal right there. You're just willing to enter into an engagement with somebody, even if you don't know where they are. Am I paraphrasing it okay? So you're willing to engage even if you don't know where they are. What else? So you can be patient, but you can also be wise. Because you're a good worker. You understand the harvest. I'm going to tell you two stories. I'll say this one first. So I met a, I met a guy who, um, who was the... Uh, He was the director of the community center where we planted the church in 1993. He grew up in a Jewish home in Connecticut, married a woman from um, the Netherlands who was, who was Hindu, and he would say, but he didn't like labels, that he was probably more Buddhist than anything else. So I started to reach out to him when we started renting there. And when I first got... Ask, I just said, Bill, can we go to lunch? Finally, after it must have been six months, he said, okay, let's go to lunch. Okay, I'll go to lunch. And all I did during that lunch was just try to get to know him. Tell me your story. Where'd you grow up? How'd you meet your wife? How'd you end up in East Tennessee? I mean, he's from Connecticut, and she's from, and they're in the backwoods of East Tennessee. Whew, that's a long way from Connecticut and, and in the Netherlands, let me tell you. And so we just kept doing that over time. And uh, 
One day, he came all excited. He said, Bob, I was at this seminar. This lady talked about the gift of cancer. Um, and it was obvious she was coming from a New Age Buddhist idea that there's a yin and a yang to life, and every negative has a positive, and she was talking about all the things that she'd learned from cancer. Strategically, because I understood this, I looked him square in the eye, and I said, Bill, there is real evil in the world. Let me tell you, if you said to your friends who lost family members in the Holocaust hey, that really wasn't so bad if you just look at the bright side of it. How do you think they would receive that, Bill? Then I said something even harder. I said, Bill, if your daughter came home having been tragically raped by a man and you look at her and say, it's really not that bad, it's just how you look at it, you'd lose your daughter. Bill, there is real evil in the world. Stop. I had an opportunity, because I understood this, to sow some truth. He'd let me sow truth over about a year and a half period of time, but he let me say that. That led to years later further conversations that I'll tell you about maybe next week. But I was confronting his worldview. His worldview was messed up. It was a new age, um, existential, everything good as a balancing bad, and it doesn't work. But he was holding it up altruistically like, this is so wonderful, isn't it? Gift of cancer. I don't want to turn to my friends that are dealing with that right now and say, by the way, this isn't so bad, is it? So that's one. Anything else that you would do? And yet, if you, if you held on to this idea, you wouldn't give up on people, men and women. You wouldn't give up on them. I've heard too many bad applications of when Jesus said, if they don't listen to you, leave that place, kick the dust off of your feet, and walk away. That is a very specific instruction for a very specific time, and it has Little to no application to us today. And it's used wrongly, I think. What if, what, if, uh, Matt, what if Bill would have given up on Bruce after nine months? What if, what if Matt would have said, he's a lost cause, I'm going to go, I'm going to quit paying attention to him. Because I doubt, I've talked enough to Bruce, I doubt any of those men really knew until he got to about Bill what impact was really going on in his heart. So you'd be patient. You would, you would not give up on people. That's another, to me, a very practical application of that. Anything else you see out of that? Tell me why. I don't disagree. Why? You just do what Lance said. You just freely enter in. Okay, so a number of years ago, I'm flying home from California. Now, I don't want you to hear this story as something you ought to do. It's just something I'm comfortable doing. That's engaging people that I just meet. 
So a woman sits down. We're flying from California to Charlotte, and a woman sits down next to me, and she's probably about my age, um, maybe a little younger. And so I, I really had thought, you know, I'm just going to relax during the ride home, but I felt the prompting, but I'm just engaged with this woman. And so I did. And, and typically what I do is I just take, I start with what and where questions. Where do you live? What do you, and I turn them into how and why questions. How'd you end up there? Why did you do that? Why'd you get into that business? You, so after an hour I, of talking, she should, and again, like Bruce said, she was talking about her favorite subject, which is herself. And it was genuine men and women. I wasn't trying to fake it. I really wanted to know the lady. And so I said, tell me about, after an hour, I said, I'd love to hear your spiritual story. Would you mind telling me about that? Another 30 minutes. And it was very evident she had been deeply wounded by her parents and her family's church. It was extremely legalistic. She was a divorced woman who her family had kind of rejected as a result of that divorce. She had adult children. She was a wounded woman. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, what do you want me to say to her? And it was so clear to me that what, the, that what Jesus wanted me to reinforce with her is that he put me there next to her specifically to tell her that he saw her and he loved her. And so that's what I said to her. I want you to know I think God put me specifically here today because he wanted you to know something very important, that he sees you and that he loves you. To me, it was not the time. It was not the full kernel in the head. It was just the stalk. He, she needed to know the God who didn't condemn her. She needed to know the God who loved her and cared about her because she didn't know that God. Now, I'm sure there'd be some people, if I told that story in certain audiences, they'd say, you failed. You missed an opportunity. And I'd say, I don't think I did. Because I was listening to the Lord of the harvest, asking him, what did he want me to say? Where was she? And I think I understood. As I engaged in this conversation, I began to understand she was not totally non-receptive, but she needed to hear more of the good news. Well, isn't that what most people, in many cases, did everybody hear that? Their objections to Jesus is because they feel that they're not worthy. I think that's a very common one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's what I want you to do is I don't want you to think about the people in that same sphere of contact that I've asked you to think about. And I want you to leave tonight aware of the pressure that you feel to make outreach an event, the pressure that you feel when you're around them to make something happen, quote, quote, And I want you to keep in mind that Jesus has ordained a process to reach those people. He's got you praying for them, and he's letting you know tonight there's a process that he has in mind for reaching them. And now he wants you not just to trust that he's the Lord of the harvest, 
but what? He's going to make that, that seed grow. He's the active party. So we're repenting now. It's not an event that we control. It's a process that we join. And so then we ask the question, where are these people in the process? And how do I get involved? Is it time for me just to pray? Is it time for me to say something? What do you want me to say if it is? Is it time for me to just ask questions? We'll talk more about how you can recognize those places in the, in the process next week. But so each of these weeks, the idea is that I, I haven't, I'm trying to identify a myth that binds us up and point to the truth that sets us free. And so, the truth tonight is as the Lord of the harvest, Jesus has ordained, He has ordained this, this process to reach people, that He is over. Okay? Now, so, we go back. What do we say at the very beginning? God wants us to experience the joy when it comes to outreach. Men and women, I left that flight that day joy-filled. I did. Be, well, not because she came to Christ, but because I got to enjoy being a part of the process. I didn't, I didn't feel fear. I didn't feel any pressure. I didn't feel confused. I just started to engage, to Lance's point. I just started into a conversation. I didn't see where it goes. So again, that dissonance is between what, we, what God wants us to experience and what we're experiencing is because of these myths that bind us up and the truths that, that Jesus wants us to set us, through, set us free by. Okay, so this week, those people that, and again, if you have any names that you want to give us, please, any more that you want to give us, we're, we're glad to, join, to pray for them. Please, give us that honor and that privilege. This week, you're going to be thinking about the next passage that we're going to look at in, Mark, in John chapter 4. That's on your front of your sheets. I want you to read John chapter 4, 27 through 38. John chapter 4, 27 through 38 comes after a very well-known passage about a woman who goes unnamed, but we all know what she's known by. What is she? She's a Samaritan woman or the woman at the, at the well. And I think this is one of the most misunderstood evangelism passages that Jesus, in this next section that we're looking at, in 27 to 38, explains what just happened. So it's a very, very important passage for us. And so then I want you to think about what insights in the process of reaching people does Jesus reveal in that section. We'll talk about that next week. Okay, any comments or questions? Always? Always. You have a comment or a question? Not right now. Oh. <laughs> but I will. But you will.
chance. <coughs> Thanks, Kevin. Yes, Lance? I was thinking about the first point is that the joy is not only the, the interaction with someone, but then you appreciate in the joy of what's already happened to you more and more and more. Absolutely. Everybody hear that? As you're listening and engaging with a person, it's not only the joy of listening to them, but you realize what's happened to you. Did I say it correctly? Any other comments? Identifying a myth is a growth statement. I mean, a growth process, isn't it? And seeing how deeply they go. Next time you, the next, see, what I want you to think about is the next time you're sitting across from that person that's on your list, what are you feeling and thinking? To your point, Herb, what are you feeling and thinking right then? Can you identify the pressure and can you repent? Can you say, no, 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 I'm not going to believe that. Jesus, you're in charge of this, not me. I am not going to listen to that lie anymore. Great. But that's, the, that's why we talked about myths. That's why I start with the myth. Because we've held them so closely without even giving thought to them and, reali and realizing how they bind us up. Any other thoughts? Great, Herb. Thank you. Michael has got something that, that he wants to let us know about regarding the 13th of March and our end-of-the-year celebration. As he's coming up, I'm going to pray for tonight, okay? Lord Jesus, we're just uh, so grateful that you, uh, as we looked at last week, when you look at the masses, the crowds the, of people, that you feel compassion for them. You felt compassion for us. Uh, I just was thinking again this week about this song, King of Kings, and from heaven you came running with mercy in your eyes. Mercy for each one of us in this room. Mercy for those people that are on the list that, we've, that you've placed on our hearts to pray for. And, and I'm asking you again, would you continue to root out the lies, the myths that we believe in our hearts, and you would show in the place of that the light of truth that would, in fact, set us free to be the workers that we long to be. So we just ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want you to use that. I just got a, I just got a free shot. There's my two guys right there for this week. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, what a great job. And thank you, guys. Bruce, thank you for your story and for uh, praying for these guys. Um, we have a chance to uh, engage uh, with... Uh, our church, larger church, uh, and also our community on the 13th. So let me tell you what's going to happen. Tammy and I had a meeting this week, and uh, so I want to engage you in a piece of art um, that I think is going to be fun, so I need your help. And I want you to practice this. I want you to think about this. I want you to pray about it. I want you to go back to your study notes. Uh, anything that you've done maybe in last year, the Old Testament, the New Testament, Right now, she's given, Tammy's given the same announcement to the Old Testament folks. We're going to allow, not allow, we're going to let or ask the Discovering Jesus people to be a part of this if they want to be involved. Um, on the 13th in our sanctuary, um, we will gather in here briefly, 
and finish up this piece of art that I'm going to tell you about. And then we're going to go into the sanctuary. And Dr. Tim Laniac, some of you may know Tim, uh, had a conversation with him this week. He's going to come and speak to us. And I said, I just want you to be Dr. Laniac. I just want you to be Tim. And I just want you to talk about how you love God in Old Testament, New Testament, and then where do we go from there? And so he got excited. Uh, in fact, we talked yesterday. I was driving up to Virginia for something, and we just had a great phone conversation. And so I said, I want people to engage, though. And so, Bruce, thank you for your head and your heart. Uh, I have this little thing where I ask people how they're doing. How's your head? How's your heart? I've been doing it for a long time. So in this one, I need your heart to connect with your head and then in your arm and then out a pen and onto a piece of paper. So what I want you to do is do the following. And I didn't know mine was going to be there, but there it is. So uh, Tammy, I said, oh, thanks, Tammy, for printing mine out. And so, but uh, here's the thing. This is it in a nutshell. This is your instructions to take home. And, I'm, and seriously, help us do this the best you can. So I want you to practice and trust me on this. Uh, good art should be revealed later, so we're going to reveal this later. So here's what you're going to do. Uh, take time this week, uh, pray about it, reflect on it, your personal experience in the academy. And, and Bob, uh, look at this. I'm going to borrow your three already. Here's the three things I want you to do. In a four-by-eight box, which is this big right here, there's a piece on your table. There's a blank card there. That's four by eight. Here's how I wrote mine out. See, it's above the line. Four by eight. I need you to write it in block print so that you're going to practice at home, not on that piece of paper. Save that as your, not your proof, but your final. And you can change this as many times as you want. And so I just wrote mine like this. Here's my three questions. What truth did I learn? That could be now. That could be tonight. It could be last year. It could be in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, when you heard Carol speak or anyone speak, Lance speak. I mean, you, you, you learn something from all these people. What has God impressed on your heart? So pray about it. I said, love God and enjoy him forever. I just had a thought that came to my mind that this joy is, I should be getting that like it was a birthday party, but it may have been her birthday party. You know, when you do that. And so it's not like I got to blow up a balloon and think, oh, I should have, I felt bad. And we were talking about that at our table about you share something and someone says, no, you kind of leave feeling bad. You go, no, I'm, I'm sowing seed. So my thought is to put this in a block form on that four by eight piece of paper. Love God, enjoy him forever. He knows me, love me first, love him daily, reflect him. And then I need you to sign it like you would a good piece of art. Need your name on it. Okay. So you're going to bring that piece of paper in here even next week, and we're going to add some of them to something, and then we're going to bring it on the 13th, and we'll finish up then. If you know of other people who are a part of this and they would like to be involved, please, as many names who went through this, we're going to use this to engage the community in a different way, and there'll be more on that later. So any questions? Got it? Okay. So I'm sorry? Uh, no, just, no, well, no, you can, you don't leave any room on the four by eight, just, just whatever that piece of paper is. I just want it to be about that size. And, and trust me, there's, a, I know this is hard to believe that I'm trying to add uniform to art, right? <laughs> but I really want these to sort of fit in that block. There's a purpose that they're fitting in the four by eight block. And then I want them, I'm going to use a Sharpie and you will use a Sharpie later. So let me tell you what's going to happen on the 13th. 
I'm not going to take your piece of paper and glue it to something, but write it as neat as you can. I'm going to let you write it on something else. I just want you to know what you're going to write because it has to happen kind of quickly. you got to trust me. This is like uh, going back to second grade here. All right, so you're going to get the markers, and you're going to come up and, and work on it. So it's going to be something that we're going to do, but I'm calling it Engage Art. And so I think it's going to work. So what did I learn? Okay, what will I remember most, and how will I use this going forward for the kingdom? So there's your two what's and a how right there. Um, and thank you for your time to do this. I think you'll uh, love how it happens, and I told Dr. Ladiak about this, and I've done enough videos and projects with him over the years that he said, I'm, I'm, I want to see this, and I said, yes, yeah, so do I. So thank you so much, okay? Thanks, Bob.